often the way we enter a place. There's a lot about our purpose and our intentions for being there. In the case of Michael Jackson, his entries onto the musical stage were designed to build anticipation, to thrill and to excite. They were choreographed in such a way as that right from the start, the crowd knew they were in for a real treat. Jaws would drop and emotions would run wild as audiences got swept up in the spectacle of his performance. Everything about Michael Jackson's entrance onto the stage was managed to prove that he was the undisputed king of pop. In our Palm Sunday passage today, Jesus also makes two very deliberate entrances, one into Jerusalem and one into the temple. And both of these entrances were in some sense stage-managed by Jesus explicitly to prove that he was the king of the Jews. And how and why he did this is the subject of what follows. And as we look at the response of the crowd and the religious leaders to Jesus, near the end of my talk, I'm going to be challenging you. Has Jesus entered your life as your king? If you've uh, shut your Bibles, can you open them back up to page 988? Uh, you'll also see in your newsletters, we've got a bit of a, a pink batting order. And uh, let me pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, send down your Holy Spirit now on us. We pray that we might receive your word and understand what it means to praise and worship you as King. Amen. So we start then with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And to set the context within Matthew's Gospel, which we've been studying since Christmas, ever since chapter 16 and Peter's declaration that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish king or Messiah in the language of the Jews, Matthew has been building up to this climatic entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem now in chapter 21. It's now that the confrontation between Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, and the Jewish religious authorities must come to a head. And because it was the Jewish season of Passover, the feast season when thousands of Jews flocked into Jerusalem to celebrate their exodus from slavery, a large crowd was guaranteed for this performance. As Jesus pauses at the end of Bethphage, by the Mount of Olives, about one mile to the east of Jerusalem, the stage is finally set. You can see on the slide where the arrow is. That's where Jesus paused. So how would Jesus enter into Jerusalem? The city famously branded in the Psalms as the city of the great king. How would Jesus enter into Jerusalem in a way which demonstrated he was worthy of its royal title? Firstly, Jesus enters as the anticipated king. In verses 1 to 3, Jesus sends his two disciples ahead of him into Bethphage to bring a donkey and her young colt to him with the instruction to the owner, the Lord needs them. Now, if we stop and think about this for a moment, having traveled this far from Galilee to Jerusalem on foot, it's unlikely that Jesus suddenly got tired and thought it'd be a good time for a change of transport. Jesus didn't suddenly get cramped. This is the first time that Matthew records Jesus riding on a donkey in all of his ministry. Jesus deliberately staged his final entry into Jerusalem in a way which demonstrated he was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. 
the long-anticipated king, the one prophesied in their scripture, just as was foretold in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus presents himself in a way which fits his claim to Jerusalem's royal throne. It's a bit like we might see, send a CV ahead of us when we're applying for a job. When it's time for the interview, the person you've written about on paper better match the person who you are if you want to get the job. Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem in a way which fulfills the job description God had set for him. And by way of kind of humorous aside, you may have heard uh, the story of Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, when he entered England on a mission trip from America on the Queen Mary cruise liner. One disgruntled journalist asked him, how can you sail into uh, England in such luxury when Jesus rode into town on a donkey? Billy Graham paused and replied, you find me a donkey that can swim the Atlantic and I'll happily jump on the back of it. (laughs) Jesus enters into Jerusalem in a way which is fit for the purposes before him. Secondly, Jesus enters Jerusalem as the Davidic king. In verse 8, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the very great multitude in the crowd hailed him as king. Swept up in the drama of the occasion, they have spread their cloaks on the road before him as a symbol of homage. The palm branches they cut down from the trees were a symbol of Jewish nationalism and victory and pride. With their voices in verse 9, they proclaimed Jesus to be king in the line of King David. David, the one who defeated the, uh, the giant King Goliath and routed the Philistines. David, the one who had expanded Israel's territory and made God's name great. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they cried. Hosanna, which means save us. Save us, son of David. At last, a new king like David had risen up within Israel. One who would this time take on their Roman oppressors and cast off their shackles of servitude. Perhaps at last, Israel would once more have the authority to govern herself. But caught up in all the fervor, the great multitude in the crowd had missed something. Because Jesus, the saver, had entered as the unexpected king. Going back to your uh, Bible in verse 5, is your, in verse five, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Gentle? Gentle? What good is that? It's not what the Jews were expecting. This was no time for a softly, softly approach. This was a time for puffing up your chest to its full extent. Jumping on a war horse and looking impressive. Then you'd look intimidating. People with swords and clubs would be filled with confidence and rally to your cause. But this is not the type of entrance that Jesus choreographed. Jesus entered into Jerusalem in a way which demonstrated he was the king of peace. The salvation of Jesus' rule was not marked with retribution against an enemy, but rather reconciliation and peace. It's no wonder that four days later the Jews would ultimately reject Jesus after first singing his praises. He wouldn't fight for the cause that they had in mind. After all, fighting for peace is a much harder fight to win. 
It requires not pride, but humility. Why people who profit from violence do their best to discredit you. Just ask President Obama how he feels as he tries to tighten America's gun control laws. He might be the president of America, but because his views are unpopular with the powerful gun lobby, they're doing their best to make him look a fool, even though he's fighting for a peaceful cause. In a similar way, the Jewish religious leaders stirred up trouble for Jesus. The Jewish authorities wanted to rule over their king. The second entrance Jesus makes uh, in our passage happens when he enters into the temple of God. In verse 12, people are often offended by the thought that Jesus drives out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. After all, haven't I just said that Jesus enters as the king of peace? Where's the consistency in that? Is Jesus not in control of his emotions? Can I use Jesus' actions here as an excuse to lash out with frustration when those around me frustrate me? Well, perhaps not when we realize what the actions of Jesus symbolized. Jesus enters the temple of Jerusalem as the restorative king. Jesus quotes from Old Testament scripture as he says to the shocked onlookers, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. You may already know that the temple in Jerusalem works on a graduated system of access where the Gentiles, who were foreigners, were only allowed into the courtyard area for prayer and no further. It was in this temple courtyard area where all this commerce was taking place. And now hopefully, as you've walked in the doors over the last week, you've, um, you've seen that uh, we've got a new church prayer room just to the right of the foyer. The idea is that we've made the atmosphere more conducive for prayer. If you go in there now, and we really want you to, I hope you'll find it a peaceful place to engage with God. But imagine, as you sit on the comfy sofa, if there was a, a, a person exchanging money, noisily bartering, noisily bartering with customers for the best deal. Then you go to the cupboard on the opposite side of the wall, and as you open the door to uh, open and access the Bibles, suddenly dozens of birds fly out. You finally settle in a chair, but try as hard as you might to set your eyes on the cross. Your ears can't concentrate because of all the commotion from a noisy bazaar. This was the situation for the Gentiles who wanted to worship God. Jesus sees all this commotion as being more than just noise and distraction. He sees it as wickedness because profit is being put before people's ability to worship God. What's more, when Jesus speaks of a den of robbers, not only were people trading in the wrong place, they were trading dishonestly. Those who would normally have to hide their activities in darkened dens on the outskirts of the city, were now conducting their dirty deeds in broad daylight, right under the noses of the Jewish religious leaders, who probably received a generous kickback too. This was why Jesus turned over the tables. He was challenging the religious elite to account for their corrupt practices. Jesus entered the temple with the authority of a king to restore foreigners' access to God so that people, wherever they were born, had the chance to pray. 
Next, next in verse 14, we see Jesus as the healing king. According to Old Testament ritual, the blind and the lame were excluded from the temple by decree of King David. But here, now, Jesus, the son of David, receives the blind and the lame in, into God's inner sanctuary, and heals them. The old barriers of exclusion put in place to demonstrate the holiness of God have given way to God's blessing on all. As Jesus heals the blind and the lame in the temple, he's making the point that one greater than the temple is here. He's ushering in a new era where people are to come to him to find healing. And then finally, before the indignant religious leaders, we see Jesus as the praised king. The children pick up the same song they've learnt as Jesus entered his way into Jerusalem. Hosanna to the son of David. And of course, children don't have the same filters that adults do. When they're excited, they tell it like it is. And children love a good chorus and a song to shout and sing. On Thursday, I was able to help out in the Claygate Primary School with some of their school assemblies. Emma Coy and I were using some of the examples um, from the Apostle Paul uh, Peter's life to share on our theme for the term, which is on the theme of courage. And it's fair to say that the children were a very attentive bunch. But it was when we taught them the song, Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you, that their attention really peaked. At the end of the assembly, when the children filtered their way out to the playgrounds, it wasn't the actions of the disciple Peter that were chief most in their mind. No, it was the song, Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. I knew that that was the song that they'd be irritating the teachers with later in class when they should have been quiet. Well, as the children in the temple courts sang Hosanna to the son of David to Jesus, the religious leaders would have seen it as a direct challenge to their authority. Some of you may remember the childish song, I've got a song that will get on your nerves, get on your nerves, get on your nerves. Well, that's how the religious leaders felt as the children sang, Save us, Son of David, to Jesus. As the children repeated their chorus over and over again, the religious leaders would have become increasingly more frustrated, wound up, red-faced, and brimming with anger. And so unable to stop the children themselves in humiliation, they turn to Jesus, forced to ask to Jesus, uh, first to turn to Jesus for help. Do you hear what the children are saying, Jesus? But Jesus only encourages the children further. And he does so, quoting from Scripture again. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth praise? The children might have been noisy, but they have perceived spiritual truth which the educated religious leaders have been unable to fathom. Jesus was their rightful king, and they should have been praising him. So how about you? Let's go back over some of the ground we've covered. Has Jesus entered your life as the anticipated king? If, that, if not, then what might it mean for you to anticipate his arrival into your life this Easter season? Perhaps you're here this morning with a, a longing in your heart, in your life, that you've been unable to fill elsewhere. If this is you, can I encourage you? You're in exactly the right place to receive Jesus. 
The Bible says everybody who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And what's more, if you ask Jesus to enter into your life, you can anticipate good gifts from a loving God who wants to transform your life in the way your purposes are redeemed for him. What about those of you who would say Jesus is already the king of your life? Do you anticipate knowing more of him by reading the Bible and training yourself up in his service? The more familiar you become with God's word to his people, the more you'll be able to anticipate God's ways and his means. More often, you'll find yourself aligned with his purposes. You'll become more alert to those divine nudges and urges where God seems to be telling you to stop what you're doing and chat to a particular person or call a long-lost friend only to find that they have been struggling and they're really going to appreciate your help. Are you anticipating the living God who has entered into your life to really make a difference? Then we saw Jesus enter as the Davidic king, the king who they sung Hosanna to. Hosanna, which means save us. For everyone here, I imagine there are present battles to fight. Some small, some of them large. It's inevitable there will be concerns weighing you down and limiting the freedom you feel. You know, in the book of Psalms, many of which were written by King David. The cry from the heart, save me, occurs at least 20 times. And that doesn't include the same request in all its other various forms. Crying out to God in prayer, save me, is a perfectly valid prayer. If you're in the midst of some struggle right now, have you let Jesus enter into it? Pray to God the Father in Jesus' name. Don't hold Jesus away from your troubles at a palm branch's length, as it were. No, lay down that palm branch before him and let Jesus in. Pay homage to Jesus by putting your request before his royal throne. However, as we make our requests, we should also remember that Jesus enters as the unexpected king. Jesus wants to enter your life to fulfill the purposes of God. Not necessarily the purposes you might believe to be right. Christians should always remember that the victory Jesus won was only made possible through self-sacrifice on the cross. That's how our peace with God was won. Through sacrificial love. Through the costly path of humility. Is there any area in your life today where you know you're proud an area of pride you need to get rid of today. Jesus asks his followers to die to themselves if they're truly to follow him and serve him as king. Next, restoration. Jesus is the restorative king. When Jesus entered into the temple, he refused to tolerate the evils that were practiced under the banner of worship, but were hypocritical in the extreme. Jesus speaks a powerful warning to those who transact in God's name in order to profit for themselves. And this is particularly pertinent for those like me who stand up here and preach. But I hope you feel the weight of it too. God is holy. He will not tolerate behavior in the life of believers that is more suitable in a den of robbers than it is in a house of prayer. If through our sinful actions we deny others access to God's love, then we should expect to be found out. 
If you know that this is you, can I plead with you to come before a loving God in repentance before Jesus turns the tables on you? Come to God's throne of grace and be restored. Because Jesus also enters as the healing king. You see, the truth of the matter is that we're all unworthy before God. All of us are, in a spiritual sense, blind and lame before him. All of us are guilty of sin and need the healing touch of Jesus to make us acceptable before God. So if you're here this morning, unsure of yourself, feeling unworthy, maybe you feel that God could never love you. After all, he knows what you've done. Come to Jesus and find healing. Jesus didn't go to the cross to be forgiven his own sin. Jesus was perfect. He went there for you and for you and for you and for me. That's why Jesus, God's son, entered the world to heal our relationship with God. And that's why Jesus enters as our king to be praised. Jesus did what we could not do. You know, a child is powerless in so many ways. Yesterday, I took my daughters to Hobbledown Farm, which is basically a big play center for kids. And it dawned on me that they depend on me for so much. I helped feed them, wash them, and clothe them. And when they fell off an activity, I was there to pick them back up. I didn't begrudge showering my love upon them. To see the smile on their faces was a real joy. Hannah, who was able to speak, was able to tell me how happy she was. But both of them, through their affection, were able to express how much they loved and trusted in me. Well, this morning, will you let your attitude be before Jesus like that of a child? Will you demonstrate your affection for Jesus by singing his praise and reflecting on him as king as you come to communion too. It doesn't matter what others around you think. Enjoy the time you have with Jesus now. Let your love and trust for Jesus be obvious to all in your worship. Make the entrance of Jesus into your life obvious to everyone. Praise Jesus, your King. Amen.